You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Directors Ray and Easterly warn Congress of threats from Chinese hackers. Myanmar authorities extradite pig-butchering suspects. Automation remains a challenge. Sneak Security Labs plugs holes in leaky vessels. Pegasus spyware targets human rights groups in Jordan. Subtle paws scratch at Ukrainian military personnel. White Phoenix brings your ransom files back from the ashes. In today's Threat Vector, host David Moulton, director of thought leadership at Unit 42, speaks with MDR senior manager Oded Owazkar about how AI might change the world of security operations and threat hunting. And a wee little trick for bypassing chat GPT guardrails. It's Thursday, February 1st, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Thank you for joining us here today. It is great to have you with us. Yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray and CISA Director Jen Easterly both testified before the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. FBI Director Wray highlighted the threat posed by Chinese hackers to American critical infrastructure. He emphasized that China's hackers are targeting essential services like water treatment plants, pipelines, and power grids, preparing to cause significant disruption in the U.S. if necessary. He stressed the seriousness of the threat to national security, pointing out that China's cyber activities extend beyond military and political targets, indicating a strategy that includes potential attacks on civilian infrastructure. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security, make it the defining threat of our generation. CISA Director Jen Easterly echoed Director Ray's concerns. In a deeply concerning evolution in Chinese targeting of U.S. critical infrastructure. In particular, we've seen Chinese cyber actors, including those known as Volt Typhoon, burrowing deep into our critical infrastructure 
to enable destructive attacks in the event of a major crisis or conflict. This is a world where a major crisis halfway across the planet could well endanger the lives of Americans here at home through the disruption of our pipelines, the severing of our telecommunications, the pollution of our water facilities, the crippling of our transportation modes, all to ensure that they can incite societal panic and chaos and to deter our ability to marshal military might and civilian will. Joining me is my N2K colleague, our executive producer, Brandon Karp, who is a former naval officer who spent several uh, years working at Cyber Command, working on things that are very relevant to this story uh, that perhaps he is not at liberty to discuss. <laughs> but, uh, Brandon, you certainly have expertise in this area, so I'm very interested in your thoughts on the commentary that we see here from both directors Ray and Easterly. Yeah, well, um, and thanks for having me on this morning, Dave. So the consideration when looking at this testimony um, just yesterday from directors Ray and Easterly is the significance in some of their messaging about Volt Typhoon and the objectives more than anything from the Chinese government in these operations. Typically what we're seeing from the Chinese government in cyberspace has been espionage driven, so collecting information from government, from corporations. Uh, it's a very specific type of threat activity. This activity from Volt Typhoon looks very different. And directors Ray and Easterly are pretty clear with what the intent is behind this activity, which is this is preparing the battle space this type of activity is fully driven by a desire to have a strategic advantage in the event of armed conflict with the United States. Um, this is pretty major, and it's something that our industry, but also our nation needs to pay attention to. Hence the clarity, I would say, of the testimony yesterday. What's the balance here? Because I think it's it's very easy for a statement like this to come across as, as kind of breathless, you know, that... Um, Everybody panic, they're going to turn off the lights and we won't have water anymore. How, how do we balance the, the, the severity or, or the seriousness of, of something like this with um, appropriate action? Right. Well, it starts with just making the world aware that we are watching and that we are aware as a government and as cybersecurity uh, professionals and as an industry of what these threat actors are doing. That is a strategic uh, win, uh, just making them aware that we see them that we know what they are doing, that we are watching them. Um, so that is part of the response in and of itself, is just the messaging that we're seeing. Now, I would say, while the testimony was intense, I wouldn't call it breathless. I, I think that they're uh, bringing to the fore some very serious concerns. For example, in May of 2023, when CISA released information about one of the biggest Volt Typhoon campaigns that they discovered in areas such as Guam that was uh, preparing the battle space against critical infrastructure in Guam. Well, when you look at that, uh, that region of the world, that is a very important strategic region for our military operations. In the event of China going after Taiwan, um, our military response, uh, by and large, will be staged in Guam as well as a few other critical bases in that region of the world. So it's clear that China is positioning themselves um, in the in a way to respond to us, uh, in a way to have a strategic advantage in the physical world. So when balancing our response, right, and you know the potential fears of breathlessness about the actual risks here, I think it's just important for us to recognize 
the risks that we have in these systems, uh, that our defenders need to be paying attention, that China is willing to target civilian infrastructure. Uh, they are preparing, Volt Typhoon is looking at, uh, you mentioned the water systems, other critical infrastructure sectors like the energy sector, oil and natural gas. The fact that they are in those networks, that they are preparing those networks for potential future conflict means that the Chinese government is willing to target those systems. Um, so it's just we need to think about what that means for our own defensive posture, what that means for our own operations. And we can't just say, well, it won't happen. We can't just say, uh, we'll be okay, we'll figure out a way around it. We need to prepare ahead of time now and not leave ourselves open to these types of vulnerabilities. So it's it's a big call to action for our broader community in terms of the response we need to take to take this risk seriously. And that, that's what it is. It's a core risk to our national security. Brendan Karpf is executive producer here at N2K and also a former naval officer who spent quite a number of years at Cyber Command. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Staying with CISA for the moment, the agency has issued an urgent directive for U.S. federal agencies to disconnect Avanti Connect Secure and Policy Secure VPN appliances by Saturday in response to the exploitation of multiple vulnerabilities in these devices. Avanti has patched some software versions and provided mitigation instructions for unpatched devices. They also advised a factory reset before patching to remove any attacker's persistence. Over 22,000 Avanti ICS VPNs are exposed online, with about 390 hacked devices detected on January 31st. CISA has also given federal agencies 21 days to mitigate a critical vulnerability affecting devices running certain OS versions on Apple devices. Authorities in Myanmar have extradited 10 suspects to China for their involvement in organized cyber fraud, including leaders of three major crime families. These arrests follow China's increased efforts to dismantle cyber fraud operations along its border, particularly in the Kokang region of Myanmar. The suspects were part of criminal groups conducting large-scale telecommunications and network fraud, including what's come to be known as pig butchering, the specific targeting of high-value victims. This handover marks a significant step in bilateral cooperation against cybercrime in the region, which had become a center for various illicit activities, including forced labor in scam operations. Despite these efforts, experts warn of the potential shift of these criminal activities to other regions in Myanmar. Security Week shares an interesting editorial from Threat Quotient's Mark Solomon, examining the challenges cybersecurity teams face when integrating automation. In Solomon's view, the cybersecurity industry is rapidly evolving with complex threats, necessitating sophisticated security solutions incorporating automation, AI, and machine learning. However, the rapid pace and regulatory demands are overwhelming organizations, leading to high stress and burnout among cybersecurity professionals, particularly CISOs. Despite recognizing the importance of cybersecurity automation, many organizations face challenges in adoption, integration, and dissatisfaction with early solutions. He says different roles within the industry have varied perceptions of automation's importance and its impact on efficiency and compliance. A key focus now is on improving employee well-being through automation, reducing repetitive tasks, and allowing for more meaningful work. 
Despite challenges, cybersecurity automation remains a strategic priority, with a shift toward low-code AI-enhanced platforms expected to improve outcomes and provide stronger ROI, especially in areas like threat detection and response. Sneak Security Labs researcher Rory McNamara discovered four leaky vessels vulnerabilities in core container infrastructure components, which could enable attackers to escape from a container and gain unauthorized access to the host operating system. This access might lead to the compromise of sensitive data and further attacks. The team responsibly disclosed these vulnerabilities, with Docker subsequently forwarding one to the open-source RunC security group. The vulnerabilities impact common container engine components and build tools. Sneak advises users to promptly update their systems with fixes from providers like Docker, Kubernetes, and cloud container services. Access Now, a digital rights group, reported that Israeli-made Pegasus spyware was used to hack at least 30 people in Jordan, including journalists, activists, and lawyers, from early 2020 to November 2022. The victims, identified by organizations like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, were primarily targeted for their role in human rights and political activism. Although the Jordanian government has not commented and wasn't directly accused by Access Now, the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab suggested that the spyware operators might be linked to the Jordanian government. The NSO group, which developed Pegasus, claims it sells only to vetted agencies for combating terrorism and serious crime. However, there have been multiple instances of the spyware's misuse for politically motivated surveillance worldwide. The U.S. blacklisted NSO group in 2021 following concerns about spyware abuse. Half of the targeted individuals in Jordan were journalists or media workers, with some experiencing repeated hacks. The Securonics Threat Research Team has identified a campaign targeting Ukraine using a new PowerShell-based backdoor, Subtle Pause, which evades detection by infecting USB drives. Likely linked to the Shuckworm Group, the campaign targets Ukrainian military personnel and starts with victims executing a malicious shortcut file, leading to the execution of the Subtle Pause backdoor. The attack leverages compressed files, possibly distributed via phishing emails, containing references to Ukrainian cities and military terms. The subtle pause backdoor operates through registry manipulation and establishes persistence on the victim's machine. It also includes a command and control mechanism that retrieves the C2 server address through various methods, including DNS queries and standard HTTP requests. The backdoor is designed to spread through removable media, and employs stealth techniques like Base64 encoding and random sleep intervals for obfuscation. Securonix recommends caution when downloading files from unknown sources and advises monitoring malware staging directories and deploying additional process-level logging. Some good news in the fight against ransomware. CyberArk has introduced an online version of White Phoenix, an open-source decryptor designed to counter ransomware using intermittent encryption. Originally available as a Python project on GitHub, the online tool caters to users unfamiliar with coding, offering a simple file upload and recovery process for file types like PDFs, Word, Excel, Zips, and PowerPoint with a 10-megabyte file size limit. 
Intermittent encryption used by ransomware groups such as Black Cat and Darkbit partially encrypts files, speeding up the attack but leaving some unencrypted data. White Phoenix leverages this by reconstructing text from these unencrypted sections. While the tool might not fully restore systems or work with all file types, it offers a viable option for recovering important files when other decryptors are unavailable. For handling sensitive data, CyberArk recommends using the GitHub version locally instead of uploading files to their servers. Coming up after the break, Threat Vector host David Moulton speaks with MDR senior manager Oded Awazkar about how AI might change the world of security operations. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. David Moulton is the host of the Threat Vector podcast right here on the CyberWire Podcast Network. He's also Director of Thought Leadership at Palo Alto Networks Unit 42. In today's segment, he speaks with MDR Senior Manager Oded Awazkar about how AI might change the world of security operations and threat hunting. Welcome to Unit 42's Threat Vector on the CyberWire Daily where we share an interesting moment from our Threat Vector podcast. Unit42 is a global team of threat intelligence experts, incident responders, and proactive security consultants dedicated to safeguarding our digital world. I'm your host, David Moulton, Director of Thought Leadership at Unit42. Today, I'm sharing a segment from a conversation with Odetta Waskar, a senior manager with Unit42 focused on threat hunting as part of our MDR service. 
Oded has decades of experience and an incredible energy and passion for the work he leads. Here's part of our conversation. All right, Oded, let's hop right into it. Threat hunting and incident response. That's the topic that we're going to get into. Can can you talk about that sort of high pressure, high stakes environment and where threat hunting's value really shows up? So when I went on IR case is is being like launched and kicked off, I think that one of the best, one of the biggest sort of challenges that we have is we need to get the scoping right away, right? I mean, we're getting to an environment, the customer's telling us something, something bad has happened. Sometimes they know what happened, sometimes they don't. But for sure, they don't know the entire scoping, like how far in the threat actor is actually is. How much grip does, do they have on the environment? I mean, is it too late in a way? I mean, do we have some time? How, many, how much time do we have to make sure that we don't have to burn the entire environment and build everything from scratch? Our main goal is to first understand exactly what are the assets that the threat actor, that the threat actor has managed to take control of. And we're using a lot of hypothesis and pre, uh, I would say, pre-written queries to help us with these type of questions. Like, when does, when has this started? What is the scope? What are the assets that are affected? What are the users that are affected? And this helps not only us as a threat hunting and an incident response team, but it is also very, very important to communicate to our customers, right? Because all they care about is how long is it going to be taking to make sure that the threat actor is out? And also, how long is it going to be taking us to getting back to full business, right? So one of the topics that seems like it's got a lot of heat behind it right now is AI and ML. How do those technologies contribute to threat hunting? AI is probably going to be changing the world in a couple of years. And threat hunting is not different. And MDR is not different. I mean, the ability to take a machine that is constantly taking the same decisions over and over again is not prone to any prejudice or anything else is going to be huge in the security, um, in the security world in general. I mean, if we are going to be able to harness um, the machine's capability in order to not only create the hypothesis for us, but also, you know, like do the iterations of creating the query, running it against the data set, reviewing the results and doing over and over again, and then only hand to us the end query and the leads that are considered by it to be a true positive, that's going to be huge in, in this specific world because essentially that means that threat hunting is going to be assisting AI and ML heavily in order to just feed to the machine the hypothesis and then the machine does everything on their own. I'm really, really excited about how threat hunting, security operation, MDR is going to be looking in, let's say, three years from now. I think we're probably going to see big changes in this specific environment. Oded, wrap it up for us, for our listeners. What's the most important thing that you want them to remember from this conversation? I want you to remember that threat hunting is an art. And when you're conducting threat hunts, 
most of the times it's not going to be yielding into some very interesting or outstanding results. It's not. Most of the work is finding a needle in the haystack and finding that needle takes time. So when you speak to your threat hunting team and your managed threat hunting team, don't always try to focus on what are the outstanding things that they have found. Because sometimes when they find the small, so to speak, things, those are the actual things that are going to be eliminating the outstanding thing from reaching to your environment. Oded, this conversation has been really rich for me. I hope for our listening audience, it has been as well. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this segment of Threat Vector from Unit 42. To learn more about Unit 42's world-renowned threat hunters, check out the links in the show notes. And to hear the entire episode, subscribe to the Threat Vector podcast on CyberWire, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. In upcoming episodes of Threat Vector, I'll be discussing the impacts of the SEC cyber rules with Unit 42's Jacqueline Wodaika and a conversation with Unit 42's Global Head of Operations, Sam Rubin, about his testimony at the congressional hearing on the growing threat of ransomware. We'll be back on the CyberWire Daily in two weeks. In the meantime, stay secure, stay vigilant. Goodbye for now. Be sure to check out the Threat Vector podcast right here on the CyberWire Podcast Network. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, researchers from Brown University discovered that OpenAI's GPT-4 can be tricked into bypassing its safety guardrails by translating prompts into rare languages like Scots Gaelic, Normally, GTP4 blocks harmful content requests, but by using Google Translate to switch the prompts to less common languages, the researchers found they could circumvent these restrictions in about 79% of cases. This method was less effective for more commonly used languages. The study involved translating 520 harmful English prompts into these lesser-used languages, then back into English and comparing the success rate against the same prompts in English, which were blocked 99% of the time. The translated prompts successfully bypassed safety mechanisms designed to prevent responses related to terrorism, financial crime, and misinformation, although GPT-4 sometimes generated nonsensical responses. 
The findings indicate a potential risk in language models' ability to handle low-resource languages and suggest the need for developers to include these languages in safety evaluations. OpenAI acknowledged the research but has not specified any actions in response. I checked in with our Gaelic dialects desk, but all they sent back was a note with the phrase, You cannot shove your granny off a bus! which I'm told is a humorous and lighthearted reminder that you should respect your elders. Our slogan is, if it's no Scottish, it's crap! <laughs> and that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.